Purchasing a home can be a huge step in anyone's life. I mean, simply put, it's probably the single biggest purchase in almost every single person's life. The great part is that there is a wealth of knowledge all around us, and we really don't have to go with this purchase alone. Join me as I sit down with Dylan Nanaka, a real estate agent in Kona, Hawaii, as we discuss some of the most common questions that most home buyers have. Whether you're a first-time home buyer or purchased a home before, this discussion is sure to bring you a new perspective or piece of knowledge that can help you in your home buying experience. Let's dive right in. Hey, if you're enjoying the podcast today and you have a genius idea that you want to share with the world, Anchor is going to be the easiest way for you to make that podcast a reality. First, it's free. When you're thinking about your finances, free is always good. Second, save your money. You really don't need professional software to get started. Anchor's tools help you create and then edit that podcast right from your mobile phone or computer. Anchor's then going to help you by distributing that podcast to all the major podcast applications, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many more. You can then easily make money for your podcast. No minimum listenership is required. So Anchor obviously is everything that you need to make your podcast dream come true. I use Anchor to distribute out my podcast and so should you. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Once again, don't wait. Do it today. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor, that's A-N-C-H-O-R dot F-M to get started. Welcome to the Financial Mirror. Financial Mirror where future success is reflected in our knowledge of fixing the one thing we can control ourselves. Hey, so good afternoon. It is another week of the Financial Mirror. And today we have another live interview. Uh, So this is actually the second guest that we've held. Um, First being Kyle, as we all remember, the old beloved Texan. And today we have Dylan Nanaka, and he's going to start to talk about some home purchasing. So no matter if uh, this is your first time buying a home or if you're a, um, you've been through the process multiple times, hopefully uh, he can bring some insight into not only the value of of real estate agents, but the process and some different things that, that you can you can expect out of the whole thing. So uh, to start off, Dylan, why don't you give the listeners just a little bit about you and sort of uh, your background? All right. How's it going, everybody? Um, I was born and raised on the, the big island of Hawaii. So we're on different islands right now, but in the same state. And uh, uh, joined the Marine Corps out of high school and learned some good skills serving um, for four years on active duty. Came home, went to college, uh, got my real estate license. Actually, when I was in college, I listened, was, I listened to my mom. She was a broker for years and told me I should get my real estate license. So she kind of forced me to. And so I, so I did that and uh, didn't think that I was, that was what I was going to do in life. So did it kind of part-time during college and then went off to some other things, worked in government for the governor and the city council in Honolulu and in and around politics for a while. And then uh, kind of realized, got burnt out doing that. wasn't conducive to my family life. And then realized that maybe coming back to the family business of real estate would be a good idea, which I did uh, back in 2015 and just started kind of taking over from my mom and her husband, who was also a broker for longer than I've been alive. And it's eventually got my brother to get his license a few years ago. And so he's joined me and my mom and stepdad have since retired and we've kind of taken over and ran with it and things have been pretty good. So it's kind of a short story, 20 years and 20 seconds. Right. No, right on, dude. So I just want I want everyone to know that I was I was actually looking at doing this this uh 
interview around first time home buying and I looked at the first for sale sign and I called the number and Dylan just happened to be the person that picked up the phone. So, <laughs> so <laughs> oh, no, that's, not, that's not true. Hey, <laughs> I, I, I looked at every, every house. I just, I kept seeing this name pop up, Dylan Nanaka. Let me just call this guy real quick, but no. So, um, so I, I was actually thinking about, I was like, I was like, how long have I known Dylan when I was thinking about this whole entire thing? And I was like, I've been here for, for four years. I've been in Hawaii for four years. And I was like, wow, I didn't, I didn't realize it'd been four years, but it has been, man. So uh, it does, man. So I, I do want, I want everyone to, um, hopefully everyone takes something away from this. I, I, Dylan's full of knowledge, uh, very much a professional in, in the real estate market and continues to grow his business. So, uh, what I really wanted to focus on is, is specifically a lot of, a lot of things that people, People sort of may misinterpret that they may not understand, but uh, whether they go to Google and, and things just don't make sense, I try want to I want to clarify a lot of those things, and, and I, I thought no better person to bring you on here. Uh, so with that, just jumping into just markets as a whole and what people what people sort of listen to and and, and what they may hear, uh, specifically talking buyers or sellers market. Can you just sort of give everyone just a feeling of what exactly that is and and, and how that can influence them in their decision making? Yeah, so it's important to understand that. And it's really basic economics, right? It's just a matter of assigning the term to the market condition. So in a in a buyer's market, it may it means that it's advantageous to buyers, that buyers have more advantages and benefits in a market that is a buyer's market. The opposite is true in a seller's market. So in a seller's market, sellers are going to have more advantages and more leverage. And the characteristics of both are if, in a, if you're in a buyer's market, the basic situation is that there are lots of homes for sale and abundance of supply and not that many buyers. And so what happens is, is those sellers will compete for those buyers. And this is true of any market, right? So buyers can, can get a lower cost because when there's more buyer when there's more sellers than there are buyers, sellers are going to make concessions in order to attract buyers. So you have more advantages. There's lots of those, and you want you know you want to talk to somebody and figure out the best strategy in that market to get the best deal. The opposite is true uh, in a seller's market, which is what we're in right now. Is there is a huge um, shortage of homes for sale right now, so the supply is limited, and there are many people who want to buy. Uh, not just here in the Hawaii market, but that's pretty true across uh, every market in the United States right now. And so sellers have all the advantages, right? They can jack the prices up. They can uh, say it's as is. They're not going to make any repairs, do an inspection. They can get appraisal waivers. There's all kinds of stuff that a seller can do. So right now, as a buyer, you're competing against a lot of other buyers for one house. And so you have to be able to uh, take concessions in order to in order to get your deal accepted. Yeah, I think I think you hit a lot of a lot of major points in that. Specifically, uh, how how you have to sort of build yourself and sort of build your resume on how and how it because you I mean you're practically selling yourself to the to the seller, right? Like this is this is the buyer that that that, that person wants to sell to, uh, and and, and, and the most and that's an important point because that's you know what this this podcast is all about is at the end of the day nobody really cares about you personally. They care about your finances, right? That's so. Right. As a buyer, the most important thing they're going to look at is page two and what's your financing situation? How much money are you putting down? Are you all cash? What kind of loan are you getting? All those kinds of things. And then, of course, what the overall price is, what you can afford, right? Those are all things that matter. But at the end of the day, your financial position is probably the most important aspect of an offer um, in a in a seller's market. 
So, so speaking on that uh, specifically, is is one better than the other to go, you know, to go all cash, go all in on cash, or or, or more money down? Is that is that influence the the or, or how does that help the buyer in, in what regards? Yeah, it has a huge influence. So cash is king, right? So if you have cash, you're going to have the most competitive offer. In many cases, a seller will take a cash offer for less money than they'll take a finance offer for more money because wow. a finance offer is going to have many contingencies attached to it, right? You have the overall financing contingency where if you lose your job in the middle of the deal, the deal will fall apart, right? If you make a big purchase in the middle of the deal, buy a car or something, that could throw your, your debt to income ratios off is which what, what a lender looks at to lend you money that could blow up the deal. The appraisal could come in low and that could cause an issue with the deal. So there's a lot of contingencies that are added on when you, when you have a, a, a loan that you need to get approved, where as a cash deal, you can forget about all of those. And as long as you can show proof of cash, you have that money sitting in a bank account somewhere. Um, that's really all the seller is going to want to see in order to move forward with you. So you have a lot of advantages if you're all cash. If you are financing, it depends on what kind of financing. The more down payment you have, the less those contingencies are going to come into play. And so you're going to have a stronger offer if you're putting 50% down or 30% down or even 20% down. If you're doing some type of low down payment, you don't always need a big down payment to buy a home. But in a competitive market, having a larger down payment helps because if you're doing like a 0% down or a 1% or 2 or 3% down loan, it's basically telling the buyer, the seller, uh, regardless of what your true situation is, that you don't have any cash, right? right. I mean, if you're not putting any cash down, it's, it, you're, you're implying that you don't have any cash to put down. And so right. that all things being equal, that financed offer with a bigger down payment is going to be stronger. Right on. So, so that, that leads me into, uh, pre-approval. So you see this, I mean, you can go to, you see this everywhere, right? You go to Zillow and it's like, get pre-qualified today or whatever, you know, like this is, this is a, a new, a new, I don't know if it's marketing. I don't, I don't really know, uh, maybe what the, what the significance of it is, but, but maybe you can lead some and shed some light on that. Like is pre-approvals necessary or pre-approvals, um, required? I mean, what, what is that? Yeah, it's in today's world, you pretty much doesn't matter what kind of market you're in. You don't want to submit an offer if you're not you don't have a pre-qualification letter. And now what lenders are doing is they're not just doing pre pre-qualification, they're doing pre-approvals. So right. they're two different things. And to a seller being advised by a good realtor, they're gonna want they're gonna prefer a pre-approval over a pre-qualification. And the difference is that a pre-qualification is you basically talk to a lender, you fill out an online form, you tell them your overall situation, how much money you make, how much debt you have. And then they say, oh, yeah, you're approved. You're, I mean, you're pre-qualified, but they don't actually review your documents. And that's important because whatever you think, you know, uh, your situation is may not actually be true because your tax returns, your bank statements, your credit report, that's going to tell the truth. So absolutely, a, a pre-approval is going to be based on a review of your documents and it's much stronger because they've already seen supporting information that, you know, basically confirms or denies what you said in your application. And so... That, that, that is important. You don't ever want to submit an offer with at least a pre-qualification. But in this market where it's competitive, you definitely want to try and get that pre-qualification first. And a lot of people don't want to do that because they got to put all these documents, upload all this stuff, and they feel like it's, it's arduous work. But again, if it's a competitive situation and there's three offers and two of them are pre-quals and yours are pre-approval, all things else being equal, you may win that uh, that offer. That, seller's, uh, that seller may accept your offer based on your pre-approval versus a pre-qualification. Just to touch on, you know, why you see it everywhere, right? The reason is, is because it's 
just like everything in the world, it's lead generation, right? And so when they make it super easy for you to click a button oh. and fill out a quick form or whatever, that's a lead that that company is now going to sell to a mortgage broker, sell to a realtor, somebody who's now going to call you and try and convert you into a customer, right? So that's one thing you want to be careful about that. Don't do the easy online thing. My recommendation always is, you know, use a real person. Somebody in that state is helpful, um, especially in Hawaii, because we have a lot of quirky things in the real estate market that can change or blow up a deal. And when you when you're using, you know, Rocket Mortgage or Quicken Loans or you know some some online platform that is based on algorithms and stuff, they're not looking at the nitty gritty nuts and bolts of the real estate market where you're buying. And a lot of times, it's um, I, I have deals fall apart all the time because of uh, it's kind of you know some national mainland lender and six weeks in there's a hiccup and they can't close the loan because of a lava zone or a catchment system or whatever and we got to switch it to a local lender who will then be able to close that deal delays the process you know you could lose the deal if the seller doesn't want to wait for you to extend and and there's a lot of factors but it's always good to get a local pre-qualification yeah we won't even talk about what a catchment system is i didn't know i didn't know until i got here so (laughs) (laughs) so hey that's another show yeah, that's a whole not, whole nother show. But uh, yeah. I, I do I do have one question about that. Uh, when it comes to to pre approval, though, you talked a lot about the documents that it takes to get that together. Does that help expedite the the process for the loan officer or whatever by doing that? Is that sort of tied into it, the same thing? It, I mean, ninety nine percent of the time, when it takes a long time to get a pre qualification, it's it's your fault, not the lender's fault. Right. right? If you give the lender everything that they need. Um, it's a pretty quick process and it's not hard. I mean, in today's world, you should have all this stuff filed electronically, right? It's, it's your tax returns. It's a couple of uh, months of bank statements, a couple of months of pay stubs. Um, they'll need to pull your credit, which you don't need. All you have to do is authorize them to do that. I mean, it ain't, it isn't arduous unless you have a really complicated financial situation, right? You're a business owner, you have multiple investments and you're drawing stuff from cryptocurrency, you're doing weird stuff. Like then it may be a little bit more complicated, but again, you want to know that up front. So if you find the house that you like and it's going to take you two weeks to get all your stuff straight, you're not waiting two weeks to make that offer, right? You have that stuff done up front and all they're going to need to do is update and get everything current before you make that offer. Right on. So, so that, that's going to segue us right into now we're giving out this offer, right? We have our approval letter what is the value of now using a real estate agent to to approach the buying of this home? Well, obviously, the first value is you're working with, hopefully, you're working with a professional, <laughs> right? And and maybe we should touch on that first. Um, Go ahead. Because not all real estate agents are created equal, right? So that's right. The, the national statistics are 10% of realtors do 90% of the business, right? So 90% of realtors aren't really doing anything. So you can go through an online search or, you know, find, find a realtor very, very easily. Every market has pretty much uh, a huge oversupply of realtors. There's a very low barrier of the en- entry to become a realtor. And um, as long as you can take a test to pay some money, you can get your license. <laughs> um, it doesn't mean that you are an expert in your market or you know what you're doing, right? So, right. so that's the first thing is be careful about, um, who you're working with, uh, you want to vet them, you want to make sure that they've done, uh, I always say experience doesn't equal expertise, right? There's a lot of realtors who have been licensed for 10 years, but they've done one deal a year for the last 10 years. You know, I do 10 deals every two months, right? So it's like that, that doesn't like, just because they've been licensed for 10 years, doesn't make them a, doesn't make them an expert either. So that's, that's stuff that you want to do. You're not going to go to, um, you know, some random person to do anything important for you, right? You're not going to go to a random doctor, a random lawyer or whatever. Right. I mean, so, so 
choose wisely when it comes to uh, using a realtor. Um, and then the value of it is if you're using somebody who's established, who's an expert, they're, they're one, they're not going to let you get into a bad situation. You know, I tell, I advise buyers all the time, especially in the market that we're in. Like I, I won't let you pay $700,000 for that house. It's only worth six. You know, I know you want to, cause you're excited and you want to get something, right. but that house will never, that house will never appreciate or not in your lifetime anyway to, you know, for a significant amount. And so you want somebody who one isn't living paycheck to paycheck, right? I mean, somebody who doesn't need to close your deal in order to feed their family. It, it, it's, it's that that's going to get you into a bad situation. So you want to, you also going to give you honest advice about what's going on in the market and maybe know some stuff about certain places, especially if you're moving to Hawaii, we have a ton of people moving here, right? So they're not familiar with the, with the neighborhoods and, you know, potential, potential future roads that might go in and stuff like that you should be familiar with when you're making a home buying decision. So that's the first thing is getting good advice and avoiding a bad situation. And then in a competitive market, it's super important to have a realtor with good relationships and a good reputation because if everything else is equal or competitive in your offer, a lot of times a listing agent is going to choose the buyer's agent that they like, they want to work with, that they know is going to do their part of the job, going to help them solve problems. Again, a lot of realtors don't do this full time. So they get somebody under contract and then they go back to work on Monday and they're MIA for five days. You can't get a hold of them and you can't get them to schedule inspections or make sure cleaning is happening or, you know, the, the review a title report and the millions of things that we do throughout a transaction. You want to make sure that your, your partner in that, in that transaction is doing their job. And so as a listing agent, I take that into account, right? If, if I have two offers that are pretty much equal, and one of them is represented by a broker, an agent that I know well, that I know does their job. And one of them is some dude I never heard of. I'm going to advise my client to go with this offer because it just makes more sense. You know, it's, it, there's a more likelihood that we're going to close on that property, that it's going to be a smooth transaction. And I'm going to be able to serve my client better by working with somebody who is also going to do their job and serve their client. That's good. So, sport. hey, so so that that takes me to my my uh, a big question that always comes up is is when you are working with like a dual dual agent, right? Where you're you're listing, and you're the you're the listing agent, and you're you're representing the buyer as well. What's what's your thoughts on that? And and do you do you see? I mean, there's there's an obvious conflict of interest, but do you actually see that play out the way that people you know sort of interpret it, or or is that just you know I don't want to say a myth, but uh, what's what's your overall view of that? Um, I like to avoid it when possible. Um, I don't I don't rule it out in certain situations. It can make sense. Um, I would definitely advise you as a buyer to have your own representation, right? You never want to, as a buyer, walk into an open house and buy that open house, that, that home from the realtor that's sitting there who's representing the seller, right? That, that person has a relationship and right. a, a, a duty, even though if you enter into a dual agency situation, we have a code of ethics and there are rules and regulations that we have to follow where we then become a facilitator, not necessarily an advocate, right? So you can't be... Um, disclosing information. I mean, there's all kinds of things, but at the end of the day, everybody's a human, right? And if you have a long stand, you don't know what that realtor's relationship with that seller is. It could be their, it could be their sister, right? It could be their auntie. I mean, it could be a, a lifelong friend or whatever. Are they truly going to be able to treat you fairly as a buyer right off the street when they're representing somebody they have a long standing relationship with? So I'm not saying that they would do something unethical or mal malicious, but it's just, you know, are you getting the best possible representation? I mean, you have to ask yourself that before you enter into that situation. So as a buyer, you don't, you're not paying directly for those commissions, right? The seller pays for commissions. So it doesn't hurt you at all to have your own representation. It doesn't cost you any more money. 
Um, and again, there is somewhat of a conflict of interest because if, if a, a listing agent does both sides, they keep the whole commission, right? So it's like That's they right. double their income right off the bat. So, um, yeah, there's all, it's, you know, it's a slippery slope. I mean, I personally, um, will do it if I'm the listing agent and, you know, a buyer comes off the street or it's a client that I know and I put them together because I know it's the right fit and I feel really good ethically that there's no issues there, that there's going to be nothing about the property they're going to be unhappy about, that they both feel good on price. If the situation is right, then cool. But, you know, in most cases, I would advise if I meet somebody off the street that I don't know, you know, do you have a realtor? You should get one. If not, I'll, I'll, I'll give you one, right? I would recommend right. a good one to you that's going to do a good job that I know will represent you right. Because at the end of the day, you know, there's a liabil- lot of liability in this business and it's not worth your career to make a couple thousand extra bucks, right? If you're doing this as your career and not part-time <laughs> as a side, that's, side hustle. That's so. right. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey, there's 10% of the, the agents are running 90% of the market. Isn't that right? Yes. That's, did did that's I say that right? Pretty, yep. All yep. right. So if you look, if you look at, you know, like in the Kona market, there's like 800 agents, right? You look at the roster, there's 800 people, right? Like less than a hundred, hundred of them are doing more than two deals a year. Right. So it's like, I mean, it's, and you know, there's property managers in there and timeshare people and stuff like that. Right. So you kind of take them out, but that's a very small segment of the population. I mean, the vast majority are, you know, get into it and then get out of it in a couple of years or get into it and sell their mom's house. And then they do one <laughs> deal and then they get out next year or whatever, you know? So. Right. So, so when you're, when you, you mentioned that, that a huge benefit is is to the buyer is just a simple fact. You're not paying for the you're not paying for the agent, so why not use it, right? One well, and, and to be totally honest, that's not one hundred percent true because it's in the market. It's in the market value, right? And so I think we may talk about like selling your home on your own too, right? But at the end of the day, the the market value of a home has the commission built into it, right? So you. you you aren't directly paying for it. That directly comes out of the seller's pocket, but you're paying for it in your overall purchase price, right? So I like to be honest about that. Like you're not paying, you know, you're not writing me a check out of your pocket. It comes out of the seller's overall proceeds. But at the end of the day, it's built into the market price of um, of the uh, transaction. Right on. So I I, I want to bring up uh, some of the things that, that that as a buyer, what maybe what you should have to what you should think about or, or uh, what you would recommend uh, specifically. Like when when I bought when I bought my home, uh, home inspection not required. Uh, do you recommend that your buyers do a home inspection before purchasing a home? One hundred percent of the time. <laughs> well. You know, no due diligence is required, right? I mean, right. you can just you can you don't have to do anything if you don't want to. And again, this is a reason to be represented is is you don't know what you don't know, and um, not just a home inspection, but you want somebody who knows what they're doing. Look at your title report because the title insurance will issue a title insurance policy with all kinds of exceptions on it. If you don't understand what those exceptions are and what that means for your potential title policy then you could be buying a property with some major flaws in it that somebody could come back and, and claim an interest on or have an easement through or all kinds of weird stuff. So there's a lot of stuff where you just don't want to take it for granted and say, hey, I feel I feel good. I like the house. I'm just going to buy it because there's a lot of stuff that goes into that. Termite inspections. Um, you know, I, I make sure we look at wastewater records so we know that the wastewater system was approved and inspected. I mean, all kinds of stuff that you want to do to make sure that you don't run into major costs and issues in the future. So Absolutely. Um, and, and, and that's another thing too, is with home inspections, you know, I have a preferred inspector that I refer most of my people to because I know he does a good job and he doesn't miss stuff. I just, I just came from a appointment with him, 
um, doing a walkthrough at a client's house. And like, he pointed out like a little crack in the grout in the living room. And the lady's like, oh my goodness, I couldn't, can't believe you saw that, you know? And he's like, but, but that's why I hired, you know, I tell them to hire this guy is because he's going to point out every tiny flaw in the entire house and the big ones, but at least you know exactly what you're getting yourself into, right? And if you're okay with all of these little flaws, cool, but you don't want, I never want a client to buy a house, get all excited, and a week later tell me, you know, the sink is leaking and the carpet stained. Right. I mean, you know, and, 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 and I mean, that just makes me feel bad, but it also, is that person going to refer me to their friends and family to help them buy a house if I didn't do a good job for them? And it does hurt, it hurts my business overall also, right? And and so you definitely want to have somebody who goes back to, right, isn't desperate for that deal to close. You know, I'm okay if my home inspector finds something and we say, you know, we got to cancel on this. Like, that's fine because I want them to get into something that's going to be good for them. And that's not always the case. If, you know, somebody's telling you, you don't have to do a home inspection. That's like a huge red flag. Right. <laughs> so Need a new agent. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I think, I think one thing that you, that you, uh, you mentioned and, and it, it brought it up. It just made me like, think about it is that, that these home inspectors are, are, you know, they have this like trained eye almost, you know, like this like robotic eye that they just find the stuff with, right? Like you, you may be a contractor for the past 20 years. And when you see problems, you just, you, you look at how can I fix the the big things, right? Like, how do I get this sink to work? How do I get this, whatever, you know, fix the flooring or, or get the pet smell out? I mean, I don't know. I'm just making stuff up, but, but these yep. inspectors, man, like they can just really just dial in and, and, and notice the stuff that even a contractor wouldn't, wouldn't notice. Right. And that's the stuff that's important to you. I mean, you're not going to necessarily know if the, the you know, you're not going to notice it if like the rafters aren't the right spacing or whatever. Right. I right. mean, that's a, that's a construction flaw. I mean, inspector will catch up, but you will, you won't necessarily ever know that as an untrained person, but you're gonna, you're gonna, notice that uh there's no caulking on the sink when the sink starts leaking or there's no tub stopper because you can't throw your bathtub up i mean and that's stuff that a home inspector is going to catch and a contractor is not going to catch right Right. so even if you are a contractor i always tell people like don't trust yourself like let's get a professional in here you know it's worth the 500 bucks to save you potentially thousands of dollars in costs or repairs in the future that's right and and your um your your other piece is that you you're when whenever you're going you you mentioned things like um like termites and wastewater you know um and getting those things it's this is very important especially if you're buying in markets that you're you're not as familiar with that's where those agents can really come in and show you hey like this this is what we see here you know because because i i wouldn't even known to think of those things right you, and you brought those up and i would think more of you know the alabama market and what we see and and, and things like that but uh having an agent that knows your market can truly provide value by what i'm hearing from you well and also they can advise you on what you shouldn't be worried about because i get that all the time people who move from other places and they want a mold inspection or they want a uh uh, like a sump test, you know, for like the soil and stuff. I mean, stuff that like we don't even deal with here because it's like dry and there's no mold. And then like, you know, we're built on a rock. So there's like, there are, is no settling and, and you know, right. slippage and stuff like that. So there are also things that you may be familiar with in other places where you shouldn't necessarily worry about them here because they're just not factors. And you want to make sure, you know, you want to, you want to make sure you're focusing on what you should be focusing on. So once someone is ready to, to buy a home, right. And they, they've, you know, they're putting in these offers, um, Something that that gets thrown around a lot is like earnest money, and like should should I put uh, put down earnest money? Should I not put down earnest money? Like like what what's your recommendation for that? It's important to understand that 
any money that you put into escrow, you have to have both parties agree to release from escrow. So I never tell people, you know, you should put like a hundred grand down earnest money. That doesn't make any sense because it's rare. But again, if it happens and you cancel the deal and the seller objects and they don't want to sign mutual cancellation instructions, escrow is a third party, right? They're just going to hold that money until the two parties agree on something. And now you got to go to arbitration or mediation or even potentially go to court. And now you got this hundred thousand bucks locked up in escrow, which makes no sense because there's no big advantage to it. So with earnest money in general, I tell, I advise people, you know, about 1% of the sales price. So if it's a $500,000 house, do five grand. If it's a million dollar house, do 10 grand. Um, it's just good faith to open up an escrow account in Hawaii. The contracts are extremely buyer friendly. So it is very, very difficult to lose your earnest money unless you do something grossly negligent or, um, you default uh, very clearly on the contract. It's very hard for a seller to go after your earnest money. And even if they do, you have to agree for that earnest money to be uh, released to escrow. And sellers don't have a huge incentive to do that because even if you're, if you're canceling the deal and you don't agree to release the earnest money and cancel escrow, the seller can't put their house back on the market because they have an oh. open escrow account, right? So I tell buyers, don't worry about it. I mean, your chance of losing the earnest money is pretty slim unless you deserve it, right? right? You got to do something pretty stupid um, right at the end of the transaction because there are so many contingencies in the Hawaii contract that really up until seven days before you close, I could find you a way out based on finance and final walkthrough, other things, right? So um, there isn't a huge advantage to putting, the short story is no big advantage to putting a large amount of money down as earnest money, but you also want to, you know, make it significant, significant enough where it shows that you have the money. Like, and and one percent is a is a fair number to shoot for. Right on. So going over like um, some of the things you said to get out, or 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 looking at at the offer in general, um, you uh, you see a lot about con- conditional or contingency offers, stuff like that. Um, what are some of the the contingencies or con- or conditions that that you recommend or or, or that uh, first time buyers or or you know less experienced buyers should be looking at when they're putting out those offers? There's a ton, and you never want Absolutely. to. You know, I, I always hear people. You know, let's let's offer them X amount with no contingencies, and it's like, well, it's not like a real thing. Like you might see that on like TV shows, but that's not really a real thing, right? right. Because you're almost always going to have an inspection contingency. I mean, you're crazy if you don't. I mean, even in the strongest offer, you want a short inspection um, period where you can do a professional inspection. That's usually going to be 14 days. The first two weeks are usually an open-ended inspection period. You can cancel for any reason. Just change your mind. You get cold feet, whatever it is, or you find something objectionable with the home inspection. But beyond that, if you're doing financing, there's a huge financing contingency, which we already talked about. There's a title contingency. So you want about a week into escrow, you get your title report from the escrow company. You want to make sure that that title report is clear and that you're not buying a property that has 25 people that can make a claim on it or have a future road running through it or something, right? So those are things that are going to come up in a title report. If you're buying in a condo or a homeowner's association, you're going to have those documents, which you're going to want to review to make sure that the homeowner's association is is in good financial standing. There's nothing crazy in those documents that may be objectionable. So you don't want to give that contingency up because that could affect your property pretty significantly. There's surveys and stakings where you survey the property and make sure all of the boundaries are in the right place. The walls are in the right place. The house is not over the property line. So there are many, many contingencies along the way, and you never really want to give any of them up. I mean, there's there's really no point. It's pretty standard, especially in Hawaii, that you just have those built in. You may have the time period and review period shorter than um, other times where 
that that will make the seller feel better that you don't leave that contingency open for a long period of time, but you still want to have them available to you. And again, have a professional help you review and evaluate all of that information. So you're making a good educated decision when you do release that contingency. Right on. So that that's a that's a huge point for for any of the listeners, especially the the first time home buyers is is working with the agent, seeing what's what's normal in in that in that area, and, and going with going with those. Because uh, do you see any value in in shorter home inspection contingencies or longer uh, to get that home inspection done? Not not really. Um, you don't want to do it for too long, right? I mean, two weeks is kind of the, the industry standard. Maybe shorter if you're doing like a thirty day cash close. Um, but in today's market, even though it's a very strong seller's market and it's super busy, that's also causing escrow companies and everybody else who processes a real estate transaction to be extremely busy. And they don't have a big influx of staff during these times. And so escrow companies are pretty much telling us like they can't do shorter than 30 days, you know, before you could maybe get a three week close done. If we really slammed it through, did a, did a three day inspection and stuff like that. But it's going to be a 30-day process no matter what, 45 to 60 if you're doing any type of financing. So you have time. I mean, it doesn't, it's not going to shorten the, the, the overall time period. So there isn't a huge advantage or leverage if you, if you decrease your uh, home inspection period. What you can do, though, is get your home inspection scheduled right away. You know, if you get it done a couple of days after opening the escrow, review it, make any requests or approve it. You could just release the contingency a weekend, which keeps the ball rolling faster. Maybe you can close sooner. But even home inspectors are super busy, so it's hard to get them in, you know, very early. Sometimes they need a week or week to 10 days before they can even schedule you in. So you need that time frame, that two week time frame to have enough time to, to make that happen. So what is the you said you said a couple of dates out there, uh, time frames. But what is the average uh, from from first showing to closing? What What is that average time look like? Well, it's really first showing is a hard one because that's variable, right? When somebody oh, starts right. looking, it could take a month, right? Yeah. Um, but really from when you make the offer, it's usually going to be three or four days before you get a accepted contract. And none of the dates in the contract start until you actually have an accepted contract. So, you know, you make that offer. Sometimes they counter you, you counter them, you go back and forth, you hammer out some terms. And then once everybody's good, you have a fully executed contract. So that is day zero on that fully executed okay. contract from that point every date inside of the contract is based off of from acceptance or from closing in most cases right so you're going to calculate out if you're doing a 45 day closing the final walkthrough may be seven days before closing so you just count back seven days and you know that when that deadline is the inspection will be 14 days from acceptance so you count out 14 days you know how many days you have for the um, inspection period so um in most cases 30 day, you can do 30 days on a cash close. It's kind of hard right now because everybody's super busy. But in most cases, expect 45 to 60 days is a better estimate from acceptance to actual closing of that transaction. Right on. So so wrapping up this this home buying segment, uh, what I want is some 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 different factors or characteristics, right, that you as an agent are looking for as leverage for the buyer to say this. I can get you a better price because of X, Y, and Z. What are what are some of those factors or characteristics that can help help leverage some 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 favor towards you as the as representing the buyer? There's a couple of basics. Um, one, you want to be here in our market. There's a lot of people who want to buy sight unseen, and that that puts you at a disadvantage when you actually haven't physically seen the house, or you're making an offer and saying, "I'm going to come 
in a week and actually look at it, right? The seller's going to be like, ah, should I take that offer? And then they cancel on me a week, a week later because they don't like it. So you, you want to be here first and foremost. Uh, we talked about pre-qualification. That, that's a big one, right? It's just having your finances in order and being ready to, to buy and have uh, a, pre, a pre-approval letter ready to go or have your cash lined up and ready to go. You don't want to have to, uh, you know, cash out stocks or, you know, transfer money out of mutual funds or whatever it is, because that can that can take time and you know, potentially cause a delay in the sale. Um, there's one more thing I just was thinking about and then I forgot. Um, so we'll touch on a couple other things. So you, you definitely want to have, again, going back to, you know, a good agent that's going to help you have that um, that relationship and that's going to give you an advantage with the other the other realtors in town because if you got a good if you got a good agent that can work with them and you know maybe work some deals out and figure out like I always try and talk to the listing agent before we make an offer and figure out you know what are the seller's priorities what are their pain points mm. and then I can go back to my buyer and say hey you know these are some things that if we write this offer we can do these these three or four things it's going to make it way more appealing to the seller but I want to make sure that you are comfortable with it before we put it in there so explain it to them talk them through. Uh, make sure they understand what the implications are. If we do maybe waive the survey and staking because they have one from two years ago when they bought the house and nothing's changed, you know, I'm okay. I'm not going to make you do a new survey if nothing's changed, you know, little things like that. So um, those are some kind of inside tips that you want to make sure that you, you know, you, you have some intelligence on what is going to help a seller. Maybe the seller wants to stay in the house for 30 days after closing because they got to right. move to the mainland and don't want to ship all their stuff until they're sure they're closed. If you're cool with that, Hey, let's write that in that they can stay for 30 days cost-free. That's, basically going to give you a huge advantage over somebody else who wants them out immediately. So, um, you know, there's a ton of things in an offer that you can negotiate. Like if you have some additional cash, you can say in a hot market like this, hey, I'll pay 25,000 over the appraised value. Cause that's one problem we're having is that appraisals are a lagging indicator, right? Appraisals are based off of sales that happened six months ago and six months ago, the market wasn't like it is now. So even though you may be paying a fair price in today's market, the, the appraiser may be looking at comps from six months ago that doesn't reflect the price now. And so you may want to build in a clause where you're not going to beat the seller down on price if the appraisal comes in low because you got some additional cash. You know, I'll come in with 20000 extra cash to cover the, the, the uh, gap in the appraisal, and that could give you a big advantage. So, um, yeah, just, I mean, all depends on the, the situation, right? And making right. sure that, uh, you know, you have all the right information, you're getting good advice. That's, that's the biggest thing. Right on. So for... For anyone that's listening, that's 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 now in the seller's shoes, and they're 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 taking advantage of this seller's market. Um, what what are the advantages or disadvantages, or what are your recommendations for for people that are wanting to do uh, a, a self sale? They want they want to sell these these homes themselves uh, to to potentially save money. What's your what's your advice on that? Well, in general, you know the the, the statistics say that. Sellers who sell for sale by owner um, get 15% less than a seller who does not. Mm. So if you pay a 6% commission, you do a little bit of math. I mean, you could be losing out on, you know, 9% uh, of value on your home if you do it for sale by owner. So that's that's one piece. You're also opening yourself up to a ton of liability, right? Because again, as a seller, you may not know what you should or shouldn't be disclosing. You may not know what you should be looking at on an offer from a buyer. I mean, you're in the same situation as a seller, even though you already bought that home, it could have been 10 years ago. And again, you're not a professional. It's not something you do every day. You don't necessarily know the process and it can be a pretty complicated process if um, you're doing it for the first time in 10 years. So um, there isn't a 
necessarily you're not necessarily always gonna save money um you may you may not but at the end of the day like i said before that cost is built into the market value of your home so if you think you're gonna get apples to apples with somebody else um and just pocket the extra money that may not always be the case because you're not going to get the maximum exposure either that's the thing about for sale by owners you can do pretty good exposure now because you can post your stuff on public websites and stuff but the mls is private right so you can't post yourself right. stuff on the mls unless you have a realtor and where is the biggest pool of buyers that are ready to go and qualified they're connected to a realtor who's looking on the mls forum right so if you want the most qualified buyer who's going to pay the maximum amount for your house your best bet is to find them through a realtor on the MLS and you have to be represented by a realtor to do that. So that's a big advantage. Um, and then, you know, in this market now, we do things like I'm, I'm going to put a house in the market to, tomorrow or Friday, but we're going to, we're going to, as soon as that thing goes on, we're going to do some massive marketing. We're going to do open houses for 12 hours on Saturday and Sunday. Uh, we'll tell everybody offers are due on Monday. And then I, you know, we, we can present all the offers to the seller on Monday afternoon or Tuesday, wow. but you're going to, you're going to get that marketing effort, that pre-marketing effort that is going to get you the maximum exposure where, you know, if you post it on Zillow, I mean, it'll go out to the people who are on the Zillow app, but a lot of people don't, you take for granted, you know, they're not online looking at stuff. They're relying on their realtor to send them new listings and, and, and let them know when new things come on the market. So if you want the maximum exposure to the buyer pool, you got to You got to be working with a realtor. It just makes the most sense for you. Right on. So we're going to wrap it up. Um, but I first want to give you a chance. What, uh, where can people find you and where can they find everything that you're doing, uh, with, with your realty? Um, so I'm on all the social media stuff. I'm on uh, Kona broker on Instagram. I'm by big Island with, with Dylan Onaka on Facebook. Um, I'm Dylan Donaka on Twitter. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn. I'm the only Dylan Donaka pretty much in the world, except there for my go. son. He's the same name, but he's not on any of those stuff yet. So, um, so you will just, be though. If you just if you just Google me, yeah. If you just <laughs> if you just Google me, you can you can definitely find me. And then, um, you know, if you look up my face, I mean my uh, my YouTube channel. That's that's been a really big source of relationships and and getting new clients because there's a I'm the, pretty much the only guy um, on the Big Island and pretty much in Hawaii that does regular uh video blogs about real estate so if you check that out it's uh there's a ton of information there's market updates every month but there's also just basic stuff like if you're familiar if you're not familiar with lava zones or you're not familiar with termites or you're not familiar with uh, how wastewater works cesspools in hawaii there's videos and all that stuff and so people can do a lot of pre-education when they're really in the early stages um and you know not have to feel like they're reaching out and, and, and bothering people and asking crazy questions because you can get pretty much all the info that you need on that on that youtube channel but yeah, reach out. Um, you know, happy to help. I always tell people it's never too early to reach out to connect with a realtor and build that relationship because at the end of the day, it's one of the biggest purchases you're going to make. I tell people all the time, it's you're never wasting my time. You know, if I've worked with people for two years before they actually buy a house, I totally get it. That's a huge, it's a huge decision, and I want to make sure you're as as educated and prepared as you possibly can be when you're ready to pull the trigger and and and, and make the purchase. So. Um, Reach out early. If that person is not willing to work with you and spend the time with you, it's probably not the right person. And just like everything else, you just want you want to jive with them, right? At the end of the day, that's you know, it's a, it's a stressful, really big transaction. And if and if the person you're working with, you just don't feel right with them and you don't feel good about them, you don't jive, you know, then you may want to find somebody else. You know, I always tell people you, you want to you want to date your realtor before you marry them, right? <laughs> so um, <laughs> if you just if you just go under contract with the first realtor you see and you have no idea, I mean, you're going under a pretty serious contract and you, you don't know anything about them and you don't know if you can work with them um it can be an uncomfortable situation so 
you know, I tell even my even my listing clients, you know, you sign a listing contract, but I tell them that at any point you're unhappy with my service or you don't feel comfortable anymore, I'm not going to call you hostage to a contract. You let me know, we'll cancel, we'll take it off the market, we'll find somebody else, right? If, I, if the job I'm doing is not good enough for you, no hard feelings, I totally get it, you know, but I want people to be comfortable and not feel like they're they're being pressured into anything. So start early because it's, it's uh, that's probably the most important thing is, is feel, feel really good when you're going in that you feel like all your bases are covered and you're totally comfortable. Right on, dude. Well, I appreciate it, man. I really appreciate the... Um the insight. I really appreciate the knowledge. I really appreciate everything that, um, that you've given. And once again, uh, go subscribe to the YouTube channel, go subscribe to him. Um, follow him on Facebook, all that kind of good jazz. You'll get plenty of information and should make your home buying experience much more smooth. Once you get, once you get a filled with all the knowledge you need. Uh, so really appreciate it, Dylan. And look forward to a future future interview, uh, a little bit more in-depth, possibly. Sounds good, man. Thank you for all you're doing. Thanks, man. Appreciate it. All right. Well, that wraps up today's Financial Mirror. Join us next week as we continue to work on ourselves, change our mentality, and to commit to achieving the success we always envisioned. Regardless of your platform, help us grow as a community. Please like, subscribe, and share with the people in your lives. <laughs>